There are a lot of joyful moments that we can appreciate related to events that take place in our life. A wedding, um, a birth, a party, a promotion, uh, a gift, a new relationship, a task that's been completed. And such events bring us joy, usually. There's no guarantee that these events will give us joy. One wedding I attended as a young man heard the groom say before the wedding that he felt trapped and he didn't want to get married right before the ceremony. The wedding cake doesn't taste near as good when that's your feeling, right? Or how about the birth as a product of... um, a bothered uh, a, a relationship that has really bothered you for a long time, and then you have this uh, a new birth, and it it's it's troubling. You don't have great confidence. It should be a festive time, and yet it isn't. Um, or or maybe a a birthday party that's a surprise to somebody who struggles with their age, right? It doesn't always deliver joy. The point is that these events in and among themselves don't have the power to give us joy. They just exist and they're interpreted differently, right? Well, the Christian has a different source of joy than just events. It's one of the reasons that I tire of approaches of the Christian life that require one to always be victorious or healed or or on top of things. And all negative circumstances are interpreted as you know, attacks from Satan. And the Christian is trying to manage events with kind of mind-faith tactics that have little or no resemblance to the saints of old that, that endured grievous hardships, right? I think a healthy biblical view sees Christ as the source of joy and not events. The person, work, and promises of Christ have in them the power to deliver joy. And to the degree that we look and rely upon Christ is the degree that we experience that joy. Consider how Christ is introduced to the world when he came the first time. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just any joy, but great joy. Not just a selected few, but for all people. The biblical record of joy is not a knowledge garnered by a denominational slant or only to those that have a special experience with God. You know, God can give you a million dollars. Just, you know, Supernaturally give you a million dollars. But most Christians I know live a life of obedience by working hard and by trying to have a, an intimate relationship with Christ. Um, that's the life we typically live. They seek to be good stewards in a materialistic culture. And frankly, I find that no less miraculous than being given a pot of cash, right? Uh, I think that sometimes we view the Christian life as trying to finagle God out of some action to our favor. 
And I don't think that's the biblical record. God works miracles. We pray for healing. But God also works in the mundaneness of like paying your insurance, right? Uh, or he's with you in your drive to work. Uh, he loves that you're raising small children and cleaning up the breakfast mess each morning, all right? He's present in the relationship struggles. And to press this point even further, there can be joy in the worst of times. Listen to these passages. For it is a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession than an abiding one. Affliction, poverty, trials, having things stolen from you, and yet we're challenged in each case to experience joy. Let me add to the list. Divorced, lose the job, kids go south, your candidate loses the election. Joy. Joy can be experienced. I'm not saying that very thing is joyful. I'm saying that God gives you an overriding joy in the midst of that. Christ came to this earth, and one of the biggest benefits, it seems, is that we experience joy. Not happiness based on favorable events, but an inner sense that God is with me, God loves me, and God holds my future in his hands. Joy. It's so important that it's spoken about 61 times in the New Testament. English missionary Hudson Taylor lost his wife and a child while serving in China. Two weeks after Maria, Hudson's wife, gave birth, the baby died and Maria herself had little strength remaining. And Hudson went to her and asked, Darling, do you know that you are dying? Dying? Do you think so? What makes you think that, she said. I can see it, darling. Your strength is giving way. Can it be I feel no pain, only weariness? You are going home. Soon you will be with Jesus. It was a silence for a moment. Then Maria whispered, I am so sorry. Hudson looked at her and gently said, You're not sorry to go to be with Jesus. Oh, no, it's not that. But it does grieve me to leave you alone at such a time. Yet he will be with you and meet all your needs. A missionary who stood nearby said later, I never witnessed such a scene. As dear Mrs. Taylor was breathing her last, Mr. Taylor knelt down and committed her to the Lord, thanking him for having given her to him and for the 12 and a half years of happiness they had had together. A few days later, Mr. Taylor wrote, I cannot describe to you my feelings. I do not understand them myself. 
feel like a person stunned with a blow or recovering from a faint and as yet but partially conscious. My father has ordered it, so therefore I know it is. It must be best, and I thank him for so ordering it. I feel utterly crushed. Oftentimes my heart is nigh to breaking, but with all, I had almost never said I never knew what peace and happiness were before. So much have I enjoyed in the very sorrow. There's something underlying in the midst of such a loss. Can there be joy even in that? Hudson Taylor was a living example of Philippians chapter 4 that says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. The idea here is obvious that joy is not in our circumstances, but in Christ. Joy is experienced by our attachment and relationship to a person. Rejoicing is not reserved for special times within a church, but it's to be a constant exercise in our daily life. Consider elsewhere, Paul said, is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. And as Hudson Taylor understood, one can choose to rejoice when the heart is saddened even by grief. The mind informs the broken heart of the truth of Christ, and the person chooses to rejoice. Paul is not calling here for a happy, a happy optimism that has really no basis other than just, you know, the power of positive thinking. That's not it. The reason for rejoicing is rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is what allows for the Christian to rejoice always because the person and the work of Christ are not subject to our experience, but our experience and mindset are to be formed by Christ, from Christ, through Christ. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what's been on the increase the last two years in America, and maybe some of you know it personally and dramatically. Depression. Depression. Severe cases of depression require hospitalization. But those who are not hospitalized represent a larger portion of our population functioning well below optimal level. People are weighed down by a heaviness of mind and heart. 
And frankly, the church has not always done a very good job of dealing with this because it's not always dealt with by a, a platitude or, you know, enhance your Christian disciplines. The root of it sometimes has nothing to do with that. It might be helpful to distinguish anxiety from clinical depression. Often these are related, but not all anxious people are clinically depressed, though anxiousness can certainly contribute to it. There is no one-size-fits-all remedy. However, there is a choice we make concerning worry and anxiety. That's why Paul's words give us hope when he says, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiousness and worry are synonymous. When we are anxious, our focus is on an outcome that we cannot control and we feel threatened. The extended anxiety can produce an offshoot of related issues like trouble sleeping, physical problems, substance abuse, high blood pressure, low self-esteem, and the list goes on. And, and living with the unknown can cause great consternation for people. You know, we're not given a roadmap about every event in the future or how everything is going to turn out. And if we were, we would cease to need faith, right? But part of our faith means being confident about Christ while I live in a world of many uncertainties. It's worth saying that Christianity is not just some different set of morals or higher morals. It's about a person, a relationship of Jesus Christ. And that person makes a difference in our perspective in how we approach life. Michael Gerson, former presidential speechwriter, suffers from depression. And he wrote this, I think this medical condition works as a metaphor for the human condition. All of us, whatever our natural serotonin level, look around us and see plenty of reason for doubt, anger, and sadness. A child dies, a woman is abused, a schoolyard becomes a killing field, a typhoon sweeps away the innocent. If we knew or felt the whole of human suffering, we would drown in despair. The answer to the temptation of nihilism is not an argument, though philosophy can clear away a lot of intellectual foolishness. It is the experience of transcendence we cannot explain or explain away. There is this difference for a Christian believer. At the end of all our striving and longing, we find not a force, but a face. God's promise is somewhat different, that even when strength fails, there is perseverance. And even when perseverance fails, there is hope. And even when hope fails, there is love. And love never fails. Love is that relationship. There's another passage in Philippians. 
Philippians 3, 1 that says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is, and is safe for you. It's safe for you. It's a, it's a safeguard for you. It has great benefit finding joy. You can respond to all that is around you by being in despair or petulant, or you can respond with gazing upon the Lord. And this is where joy emanates. It's a safeguard because to not live in the light of God in circumstances leaves us vulnerable to these other things I've talked about earlier. We're sitting ducks when we buy into self-dependence instead of Christ-dependence. We start measuring ourselves by our performance of others. We measure our homes, our cars, our incomes, our looks. We even compare our Christian walk with other believers. And the result of this is a pride about our performance or a loss of confidence if we feel like we don't measure up. When you're focused on the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ, you realize the resources that are available in Christ for security and significance. And you come to grips with the fact that God wants to work in and through you and give you joy in any circumstance. And the more we rest in the comfort of Christ, you know what happens? Then we can relate to these passages about a willingness to suffer because I'm not going to lose Christ. I still have Christ because when he becomes my all in all, I'm willing to go through that hardship. Acts says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Colossians 1 says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And then 1 Peter, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Wow. The extent at how we can rejoice in the Lord in any circumstance is a testimony of the benefits of rejoicing. Rejoicing provides a powerful spiritual strength. It percolates from the soul. The simple things satisfy us once again. Beauty returns, right? Based on the worldview presented by TV commercials, we could rewrite the Beatitudes spoken by Jesus. I think all of us can relate to what Kevin Miller wrote here. He said, blessed are those who fly to luxury vacation spots on tropical islands where they lie and chase lounge chairs and only two people on an enormous white beach for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who drink much beer for they shall be surrounded by carefree football-watching buddies and highly attractive, socially gifted women in the first half of life, and they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who have the latest smartphone, for they shall gaze on a screen swirling with color 
and shall get all the information they need just when they need it, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who have outstanding kids. Verily I say to you, highly blessed are those who have a golden Labrador retriever bounding along on that slow motion video day of playing with the kids in the park, for they shall be the envy of real families everywhere, and they shall be satisfied. End quote. When we look at what others seem to be enjoying or how other children behave, what another marriage displays or some other external standard, we obviously are going to feel inferior. If we don't measure up, we can even feel as if God has left us stranded or even left us altogether. Whatever direction our flesh takes, either pride or despair, we can be sure of one thing, that our fleshly comparisons cannot lead us to joy. Joy is only found in the person and the work and the promises of Jesus Christ. And the closeness of our relationship to him is going to determine our sense of joy. We run to him. We look to him. Have you lost your strength? Have you lost the joy of the Lord? Consider this. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The more we take of the comfort of Christ, the more closely we cleave to him. And the more we're even willing to suffer. Look at it this way. Many of us remember our mothers that would say, you know, I don't want you eating candy before the meal. Don't eat that candy. One of the reasons is, is because the sugar buzz gets rid of the hunger and ruins our need for a healthy meal. The sugar buzz covers up our hunger for the real nutrients that we need. And happiness based on favorable circumstances is like sugar. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with sugar in and of itself. You know, just having three or four cups of it a day. That's a problem, okay? The real spiritual nutrients feed the soul and give us a deep, satisfying feeling that God loves us and he keeps his promises. Maybe a sign of my spiritual depth when we first got married is that I would put Sugar on top of the Captain Crunch. Janet's going, what are you doing? This has got so much sugar. No, not nearly enough, honey. <laughs> Don't do that anymore. In his book, The Wisdom of Tenderness, Brendan Manning tells the following story. Several years ago, Edward Farrell of Detroit took his two-week vacation to Ireland to celebrate his favorite uncle's 80th birthday. On the morning of the great day, Ed and his uncle got up before dawn, dressed in silence, and went for a walk along the shores of Lake Killarney. Just as the sun rose, his uncle turned and stared straight at the rising orb. Ed stood beside him for 20 minutes 
with not a single word exchanged. Then the elderly uncle began to skip along the shoreline, a radiant smile on his face. After catching up with him, Ed commented, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. Do you want to tell me why? Yes, lad, the old man said, tears washing down his face. You see, the father is fond of me. Ah, me father is so very fond of me. I'm not sure anything could say it better than that. So succinctly. You know, tomorrow, Janet and I will celebrate 41 years. I thought that was something until I heard Barry and, well, hold on, hold on. I talked to Judy this morning. They've been married. It'll be 66 years on Tuesday. So that, that deserves applause. Right. That's worth celebrating. But I remember after the ceremony and we, holding hands, walked down the aisle, the song we sang, because it was December 20th, was Joy to the World. And it wasn't our wedding that was bringing joy to the world, but it was a celebration of Christ who we understood, at least then, not to the depth that we do now, but that Christ had to be the center of our marriage, was the joy to the world, it was the center of it all. And so that's our message today. It's really not complicated, but it's very hard to do, is that we have all these distractions in the world. Problems, things that are shiny, even religious expectations that screw us up. But that Christ alone is our hope and is our source of joy. It's so simple. It's so hard. And may this church be one that points us in that direction and not complicating the matter. Let's pray.